Mamas, thank you for joining me for another week with an amazing mama. Just a reminder in the show notes, if you've ever been interested in Hypno Babies, I have an amazing special promo code. You can find it in the show notes and find the website clickable right there. Also, if you're liking the podcast, I would love if you would subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. And also, if you get an opportunity, share it with a mama who you think would like to listen. This is Jess, and you're listening to The Pumping Podcast. This week, I get an opportunity to sit down and speak with a mama of 16. Just kidding. (laughs) Wouldn't that be crazy? Oh, God. Well, she truly is a mama of 16 because she has opened her doors to 16 wonderful children. Ashley Baker is my guest this week, and she brings me through the world of foster care and the huge, huge heart that she has. She has one biological child, has one adopted son, and is currently with two infant babies. It's almost as if they're twins. They're not twins. They come from different families, but she's definitely got her hands full. If any of you moms have ever considered fostering children, this is definitely the episode for you. So I don't know where you're joining us from exactly, but uh, I'm joining the two of us. (laughs) I'm joining us from my parents' closet. (laughs) I'm joining from the closet in our master bedroom. Oh my gosh, we're 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 closet sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, how funny is that? I had to come home for the weekend and I was like, I I should go in the closet. That's going to be the best place. (laughs) It is, it's good acoustics. How funny is that? Well, good morning, Ashley. I'm so happy to chat with you. Um, For those listening, I am chatting this morning with Ashley Baker, and I'm really, really excited to hear your story. We met through a mutual friend, and it makes sense now reading up more about you, why the two of you got together, because you just seem, you seem kind of like soul sisters, uh, and you connect to the same sort of things, which makes me happy because it feels like I'm just talking to a friend, which is great. (laughs) Well, first of all, besides your closet, where are you actually joining us from? Um, My husband and I live, we live in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Okay. Is that really south closer to Virginia Beach or is it? Well, I should say we live in Chesapeake. Okay. And there's a grouping of seven cities that make up Hampton Roads and Virginia Beach is one of them. So we live, I grew up in Virginia Beach and we live right on the border of the city next to Virginia Beach, which is Chesapeake. Oh, okay. It must be nice and warm down there right now, right? It is. It, you know, we highs and lows, and it could be freezing in the mornings, and then by the time the kids get off the school bus, it's eighty degrees. Yeah. So you never yep. really know. So go back in time to before all of those kids were to get off the school bus. <laughs> And give us a little background on what life was like for Ashley before kids. Um, Well, I'm a pediatric speech language pathologist, and I studied in, I got all my education in Virginia. I went to Roanoke College, got my bachelor's in psychology, then came back home to this area, went to Old Dominion University, and got my master's in communication sciences and disorders, which is the degree you need to be a speech pathologist. Um, I actually met my husband 
here locally. He and I both grew up in this area. We've both lived in this area our whole lives. Um, we actually met at a water park one summer. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we were both working and um, I was a lifeguard and he was my supervisor and it was a summer. Oh, scandalous. It really was. And which was very, you know, uh, off key for me at the time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that I'm scandalous now either, but <laughs> it was, um, it was an adventure and it's crazy that a little summer love could turn into, you know, we've been together almost 15 years and we've been married nine years. Wow. Yeah. So, um, right after I graduated with my master's, I started working at the local children's hospital and that's really my passion. I love being a speech pathologist. I love working with children with special needs and um, all of my jobs leading even up to this career um, have been with children. I taught swim lessons at the YMCA. I taught classes at the little gym of Chesapeake. I um, was a preschool teacher for a little while. So that's definitely my skill set. Well, on your Instagram, you have the quote, which I just love, champion of all needs. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it seems like that was kind of your, your root, your path, your compass from the beginning. Yes, for sure. Well, and it didn't come about really until I was in college. And I really had my first experience interacting with someone with special needs. And I just remember, you know, thinking back when I was in middle school and high school, children and my peers with special needs were kind of stuck in their special classroom. Right. And you might see them in the hallway going to their lunch or something with their aides. But I would just look and stare. I didn't know what to say to them. And it wasn't that I wasn't raised in a very compassionate home or it, I just didn't have any exposure and I felt awkward around them, which I'm sure made them feel awkward around me. And, um, you know, that's played a huge part. in I think how my husband and I have chosen to raise our kids, um, how we've jumped into this foster care journey too, and working with special needs kids, because I want to just increase awareness um, of the visible needs that people have, but also there's so many invisible needs and um, issues that people have. So just kind of spreading some compassion <laughs> to everybody. I think we all need a little more compassion. <laughs> That's yeah. Yeah. So at what point did you all decide to start a family and what did that journey look like? Did it take you a long time? Um, no, generally our um, my, our pregnancy journey was very easy. We actually were going to wait about five years after we got married. We got married in 2010 and my husband wanted to wait. And so I decided, okay, obviously he's got to be part of this. So I will wait as well. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> right. I guess if I have to. Um, and then through a series of events, he, um, he's an attorney and he went to a conference in Florida and for some reason, he just decided he was going to go to Disney by himself while he was there. And to this day, I still tell him that was really creepy, just a guy going yeah. to Disney <laughs> exactly. without kids. But he was like, why not? I can jump the lines. I can, you know, I'm a single rider. But while there, he saw all these dads with their kids, you know, kids on their shoulders, you know, eating ice cream with their kids, all of these experiences. 
And that was his first, um, I guess, just, okay, I really do want to be a dad. You know, before it was kind of like, oh, my wife wants to have kids, so we will. But that was his first kind of longing pang in his heart that he really wanted to have children. So That's even so though it sweet. came about in a weird way, but um, so then he came home and was like, okay, let's, you know, have a baby. And it came about so quickly. I mean, I think I went off birth control and we were pregnant. So um, that seems to kind of run in my family. And I'm very fortunate. We know how fortunate we are to have experienced a quick pregnancy. Um, And our daughter was very healthy. I had a very hard pregnancy. I had hyperemesis gravidarum which is God where bless you, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but um, it's where you're very, very sick throughout your whole pregnancy. Mm. Most um, nausea and what is it called? Morning sickness yeah. ends around your first trimester the, or around the start of your second trimester, around 12 to 14 weeks. And mine just continued and continued. And I was just throwing up all oh throughout the day. Gosh. It was really hard to be a pediatric therapist at that time yeah. um, because you can't just jump up and leave a kid to run out of the room and throw up. So it was an adventure. Um, but other than that, the pregnancy was so healthy. Um, delivery was just a dream. And I remember thinking after she was born, I thought I could do that again. You know, it was hard. Yes, I'm not making light of it, but in comparison to the spectrum of experiences it could have been, um, it was just perfect. Um, Then about two days later, we were sent home and I had the biggest, most awful headache of my entire life for those two days as soon as we were home. And I just kind of chalked it up to stress of being a new mom and to dehydration because not drinking enough water is my, I don't know, that's, yeah, it's my life. I'm always, I'm never drinking enough water. Um, And I just, after two days of not being able to sleep at all, because I was in so much pain and no pain medication would touch the headache, I posted on Facebook and, you know, all my nurse friends were literally yelling at me over Facebook to call your obstetrician, go in, Really? The blood pressure check. Yes. They were freaking out because I was just thinking, Hey mom, you know, somebody give me some advice. What can I do? Um, and they just, I mean, typing in all capitals, they were calling me, they were texting me all my nurse friends. So I did, I went in to my OB and my blood pressure was just through the roof. Um, I can't remember the exact number, but something like 192 over 118 or something. Wow. And I, and throughout my pregnancy and my entire life, I've never had issues with hypertension. So, you know, blood pressure was never an issue. So my OB sent me directly to the emergency room. She was like, do not pass go. Do not <laughs> collect $200. Do not stop and get coffee. Do not go home and pack a bag. Go right now. Um, and they admitted me. They started me on magnesium intravenously, which I'm guessing, I don't know all the technical terms, but magnesium helps, I think, loosen soft tissue and um, loosen veins and arteries and things so that it takes the pressure off somehow, some magical medical way. Yeah. The arteries get less pressure or something like that. Yes. Um, so it, it was working and they admitted me 
Um, but here we are with our two day old baby oh, <laughs> in this emergency room and I'm having nightmares of germs and things, right. but I was nursing and, um, not pumping, you know, we didn't really have another plan B for her. So she came along with us and the hospital was so good. You know, they admitted me and put me back in mother baby where you go after you have your baby. So there was a little, I don't know what you call it, cradle cart. Yeah. With, and they gave us a whole new pack of diapers and all the things that oh, you would, sweet. you would get just like if I had just had her, you know, and so that was helpful and wonderful. Um, and I don't actually know how many days I was there. I think I was there about a week because there were some complications after that. Um, and I don't know what day this happened because I'm hearing all of this from my husband and my mother yeah. years later because I was really out of it. But essentially what happened was I got magnesium toxicity because my um, body was not flushing the magnesium out in my urine and the, I was urinating. And so the you know doctors thought, okay, this is great. Fortunately, one nurse during shift change just happened to have the right experience and took one look at me and knew exactly what was going on. And it, it was very um, serious. Again, I was asleep, so I don't know, but apparently with magnesium toxicity, you can just kind of go to sleep and not wake up. Oh my gosh. Right. And so um, again, I didn't really realize the severity of everything, but they unplugged everything. Then they realized my kidneys were not flushing toxins out of my body. They weren't flushing the magnesium. Things were building up. So they called in a nephrologist and that was kind of the start of my kidney failure. Um, for a while, they weren't sure why my kidneys were failing and kind of chalked it up to the hypertension, the sudden onset of hypertension, like an acute attack on my kidneys. Um, although kidney disease does run in my family. Uh, my mom had a kidney transplant about eight years ago. And that's actually how I met Jessica, our mutual friend. Oh. Um, her mom is my mom's kidney donor. Oh my gosh, so, really? I yes. didn't know that. Yes. So she and I were neighbors growing up. And so our moms were long-term friends and lifelong friends. And then when my mom needed a kidney, her mom went to be tested and it was a perfect, you know, it was a good match and donated her kidney. So, um, it's just a, a, another small world because that re helped reconnect us, right? Exactly. Um, which is awesome. I'm so grateful for that. Um, so they they did not see the same disease in my kidneys that my mom had. It's um, similar to polycystic, which I know most people have heard of, but it's very rare and it's called medullary cystic, and it's where small cysts grow, whereas polycystic is large cysts just get bigger and bigger. Mm. So um, polycystic, I mean medullary cystic is hard to diagnose because they're so small. And so I wasn't diagnosed for a while after that, um, simply because they couldn't see any cysts. They did eventually do a biopsy and they just happened to catch one of the cysts in the sample, which was great because then we kind of had proof of, okay, this is exactly what's going on. Um, and then, you know, from there, fast forward to 2017, I had my own kidney transplant. Um, and I was fortunate enough to have a friend be a living donor for me. So it's been a very, very much a family journey in this. And my sister is um, also has the same kidney disease and she is, her kidneys are 
failing right now and she's just kind of waiting. You can't go on the transplant list until your kidneys hit a certain level of functioning that's too low. You know, it's genetic. So my grand grandfather had it, my aunt had it, my mom, now me and my sister. And our kids, our biological children, have a 50% chance of also having it. Mm-hmm. Although while that worries me because we do have one biological daughter, um, it worries me for her, but I've seen how much technology and medical advancements have happened exactly. in the last 10 years. I know that by the time she's dealing with any of this, they're, I mean, they're working on a bionic kidney right now, yeah. you know, so who knows what could happen then. And so after this all happened, were you told that you couldn't have more children or did you just decide not to? Um after this happened and once they diagnosed me, it was still several years before my kidneys failed enough where I needed a transplant. Um, and my nephrologist, he said, you can have more kids, but you should not because of the risk of hypertension and kidney failure. And it would all be acute at that time. And my kidneys were failing pretty quickly. Um, it's amazing how fast once they you know, start to get a little sick. It's amazing how fast do they really weaken. Um, so we decided to just go ahead. My husband had a vasectomy. We decided, okay, we're not going to fill our family with biological children, which we had already kind of talked about when we were dating and early in our marriage, we knew we wanted to adopt. Um, foster care had never even come on our radar at the time, but we knew we wanted to adopt. And so I think part of me is still a little sad that we're not going to have any more biological children because with my daughter, the pregnant, the delivery was so good. The pregnancy was rough with the vomiting, but you can kind of get through anything for your baby, you know, Exactly. Um, nursing was a phenomenal experience. She nursed until about 16 months. For me, it was easy. So I'm so grateful for those easy quote unquote parts of my experience because it helped offset some of the hard parts. Um, and I really actually, speaking of nursing, I really owe it to my husband that I was able to nurse my daughter because when I was in the hospital for that week after she was born, I was so out of it. And magnesium again, loosens soft tissue and I couldn't hold her. I couldn't, I couldn't, eat anything. I wasn't even allowed to have ice chips. Um, everything was IV. And if he didn't know how important nursing was to me, and if he hadn't joined me in our nursing classes where they taught us everything and taught us troubleshooting tips, um, then I would, you know, we would have jumped right to formula, which is fine. Um, but that was, that would have been a, a blow, I think been crushing to me because that's something I really wanted to be able to do was to nurse her. It's so nice that you were able after such a hard thing to then go back into that. And I feel like that would, that could have been very difficult to do. It probably helped your healing even just mentally as well. Absolutely. It helped our bond. Um, It helped with depression after that. And so in the hospital, my husband literally latched her, you know, onto me. He did everything because I couldn't hold her. And so I'm so grateful for that. He recognized, you know, what I would want. And um, yeah, so I'm very grateful for that. And I do think that mother baby bonding, um, it was a special experience for us. And since we don't have any other kids, 
better biological, I'm so grateful that I had that perfect nursing experience um, that I know so many moms have to just fight for and, you know, experience so much pain. So. Yeah, that's wonderful. And so then what did your adoption journey look like? Was that a challenge? Well, we decided, once we decided to not have any more children uh, biologically, we had some friends who were foster parents and we really didn't know anything about foster care. We had quite a few misconceptions about foster care. And through getting to know them and watching them in their journey, we decided we wanted to try foster care. Let's dip our toe in that rather than full-on adoption. Um, and I, that was really my husband's preference because I have always worked with children. Um, I'm more comfortable around them, but our daughter was really his first experience holding a baby, taking care of one, parenting one. And he was a little nervous. So this wasn't quite the right mentality to have, but with foster care, you can like try it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I feel like, I don't know that that was necessarily the healthiest perspective because you it's not really true. You know, you're not trying out a child, but in our minds it was. And it, you know, ultimately we learned a lot of lessons from that. But um, so we decided to just go to an information session, learn about it. Um, and we realized it was, you know, exactly what we wanted to do. So we've, over the past six years, we've had 16 children in our wow. home through foster care. And that's a, that's a huge number. Um, but I also, there's caveats, you know, most of them have been with us less than a week. Um, we're kind of a little placeholder family while they, um, while grandma comes into town and gets them or while another relative does some training. So they're appropriate to take them or, um, they often call on our family when it's after hours <laughs> and on a weekend and they have a child in the emergency room or a child that needs a space right then, or they're going to be sleeping in an office, you know, in Department of Human Services. So we're kind of that emergency placement family. And so that's why we have such a huge number and they'll come to us and then they'll go to a per permanent, I use quotes because, you know, nothing is quite permanent in foster care, but um, they'll go to a permanent foster family. So was your son, was he a foster and then, and then adoption? Yes. Yes, he was. He came to us when he was two weeks old. Um, he wasn't our first placement, but he um, was our longest and he continues <laughs> to be our longest because he's with us forever now. Um, you know, and the goal for foster care is to reunify them with their biological parents. And that when that happens, it's, it can be a beautiful thing. Um, with him, it just was not not um, an option because of safety and health. And um, so we're just honored that, you know, since he wasn't able to go back with his mom and dad, that we are able to be, you know, his mom and dad. And, you know, we still keep, I keep in touch with her. Um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation having a relationship with um, a parent who has had their child taken away from them. Yeah. And now you have that child. There's an opportunity for a lot of hurt feelings and pain in that. I can imagine. I wouldn't even know how to approach that situation. 
I think I've gotten better at it over the years. You know, right now we have, um, so we have our son who's four now, but he was adopted around age two. That's, and he came to us at two weeks. So it took that amount of time for, that's amazing. Um, wow. To, for, you know, mom and dad to kind of try and do their thing. You know, courts always give them as much time as possible to try and get their, get healthy and get their lives turned back around. And when you see it happen, it's beautiful. You know, when you see the social programming um, used appropriately and moms and dads who just love their kids and just needed that extra help, um, it's really, really special thing. But um, so we, he's four now, and then we currently have two babies in our home. They're from, they're practically twins, but they're from different homes. And um, I'm so grateful for my past foster care experiences, meeting biological parents, because this is probably the hardest um, I've had trying to navigate this tricky experience with um, talking with foster parents, I think you know, I mean, with biological parents, um, this is probably the most I've had to struggle with anger towards them Mm -hmm. while still coming alongside them and being positive for them. Um, do they give you some sort of a limit or max on your communication? Um, it really depends on the situation and the social worker and your personal preference. So I mean, if we didn't want to, I didn't, wouldn't have to talk to them at all, really. But that's not ideal. And that's not the goal. Because again, this mom and this mom and dad are working towards getting healthy and getting their sons back. So um, yeah, and you're just trying to help them. Absolutely. Yep. Um, But I don't do any outside contact. There's no email, no phone calls right now. because of our situation and um you know one set of parents they're very angry and they're very hurt and that's absolutely understandable and so we just kind of it's hard to keep those boundaries but you have to um but with our adopted son's biological mom um I text her and um we see we do see each other and I just don't I don't want to share too much about the background behind that because there's still some ongoing case, I guess you could say. Um, but the more I get to know her, the more, um, I love her, even though she's made some terrible, terrible choices. And, um, you know, both of her sons have special needs because of some of her choices. And, um, my husband and I are picking up those, the pieces (laughs) of her children and trying to piece them back together. And so it's, you know, it's hard to not be so angry with her, but it's so hard because I feel like you're, like you said, you're picking up the pieces. You're given the situation that you took on clearly, willingly, and you only want the best for the child. And that's the ultimate goal is to just make sure they're healthy and safe. But I can't imagine that balance. It's just that balance between, ugh, I don't know. It's just such a tricky thing. It really is. You know, I kind of approach it like co-parenting um, because my husband and I are parenting them. Right now they're in our home. We do bath time. We brush teeth. 
we were up last night because one of them is sick, you know, I was just telling you and like, we're there in the hardest of hard times. We're in the trenches. Um, And it's hard to not be a little resentful sometimes because then, you know, each of these boys, their parents get visitation with them weekly. And depending on their progress, um, you know, when a child is removed from foster care, their biological parents, if they're going to work to get to get their children back, they're kind of given a to-do list to say, okay, that by the judge and their social workers, if in order to have your children reunified and replaced back with you, here's what you need to do. And it could be parenting classes, drug treatment program. You've got to get housing. You need a stable job. Here's, we need to see your income. Um, mm-hmm. You know, by domestic violence classes, whatever it might be. Um, and they have to make progress towards that. And that's what the you know social workers are there, helping them get the social programming they need. And so our job is as foster parents is to come alongside them. And the more I see and the more I hear of their stories, um, even though I do feel angry towards them and resentful sometimes, um, you just can't unsee their needs either. When you hear their stories, a lot of them are a product of their upbringing. Um, a lot of them don't have anybody who truly cares about them. And maybe nobody even speaks positively to them except their social workers and the foster parent. And they need that. You know, in the end, it's not up to me whether or not they have their children back. And um, so why not? Why not provide love to them, you know, and support, even though. I like to use the term fake it till you make it because I do a lot of times I do not love these parents. <laughs> It'd be so wonderful, rainbows and butterflies to just say, oh, I love them so much, but I don't yet. But there's the potential for that. And I work really hard to, you know, try to love them and show them that somebody cares, somebody's rooting for them. Um, because as much as as a foster parent, it's our job to, like you said, advocate for the child and their needs. We can change that child's future trajectory, but we can also help change their parents, their biological parents, whether or not they get their kids back or not. That's such an admirable point of view to have throughout the whole situation, because I bet it can just be such a challenge sometimes. Like the other day I was, I live in New York City and I was walking through the subways And I saw this woman and, you know, there's always people asking for money and asking for help. But I see this woman standing there with a child and this baby must have been nine months, maybe, Mm. maybe a year if you're pushing it. I don't think so, though. And it just tore me apart because my initial response was anger. You know, it was anger toward how can you put your child in this situation and how can you have them suffer and they don't know any better. And, but like you said, you don't know what they're going through and you don't know their story. So I was very quick to judge. I'll be honest. I was very quick to judge. And the first thing that I wanted to do was just take that baby and go love it and care for it and Mm -hmm. give it a, you know, fresh pair of clothes and a bath. And, but you don't know what, people are going through and 
it's like the biggest form of community service that I think that you're doing, that you and your husband are doing, that this world, you know, I wish more of us could do it. With that being said, I mean, just thinking about foster care and how much I love children, even though I don't have any yet, how the heck do you do it? I mean, I don't know how I could genuinely, like, I have trouble with kids that I babysit just feeling like they're my own. (laughs) And I'm always joking and truly joking from the best place of saying, like, I just want to steal her away from you. (laughs) Like, how do you do that? You care, you love, you mother, you nurture these children, and then they're gone a week, a month, a year out of your house. I mean, how do you stay sane? Um, you know, I don't like, (laughs) um, this time around we've, you know, we've been doing this for six years and each child is different. Each child comes into our home, you know, their story is different and it's definitely easier to cope with them leaving when they're going to a place, either returned back to parents or relative or another foster family. When I agree that that's a good placement for them. You know, when it checks all the boxes of, I think that is worthy of this child, which to be honest, that rarely happens. Um, It's hard as a middle-class basic white chick, you know, that's me, (laughs) Um, to check my privilege because I think, you know, and we live in a small three-bedroom townhouse. So I just want to give a shout out to that too. You know, if you're, there are a lot of excuses we can give to not foster, but you know, our three-bedroom townhouse is good enough. You know, it's messy. It's a disaster. And it, the more kids we have, the more (laughs) messier it gets and the less laundry is done, but um, it's still, you know, a safe, loving environment with structure. And um, you know, each of these kids deserves that attachment and you're going to attach even if you try not to. And I, you know, hope people don't try not to attach. Wait, maybe that's too many negatives, whatever. They, um, (laughs) you know, they deserve this attachment. They deserve to have people who love on them. And it's almost like you're jumping on this train. That's like a crash course for heartbreak because that's (laughs) what it is. It's heartbreak no matter what. Course for heartbreak. <laughs> um, you know, my heart breaks for our adopted son's biological mother. You know, she she loves her son and she doesn't get to read him books at night and take him to his first dentist appointment and, you know, take him to therapy. And I think that's an honor, you know, that I get to do that. But it breaks my heart for her because she truly does love him. She's just not capable of providing for him. Um, but again, my rubric for what a child should have in their home and the type of home they should have is not the same rubric that a judge and the social workers use to, to say, okay, this child can go back to their home. And sometimes that home is a hotel room. They, they will return kids to a hotel room if the parents can show that that's stable enough and safe enough. And that's really, really hard to get over, but Mm -hmm. that's the reality because not everybody is on the same socioeconomic status, that family, that mom and dad who loves their child, 
if they're truly trying to, that might be their best that they can give the child as a hotel room or section eight housing or something like that. And um, it's hard for me not to want to say, oh, you know, that's not good enough, but it is the best for that child because I've been reading a lot about just biological family. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And while I can provide a better physical environment for them, for the child, maybe, um, you know, their biological family, there's something deeply um, rooted in blood relation and, you know, your roots, where you came from. Um, So even though we've adopted our son, I have pictures of his mom. I have his birth records. Um, I have so much of his history and I do keep in touch with his birth mom because that's important. And right now he doesn't understand he's four and he does have some special needs. So he doesn't quite understand, but when he's older, when he's 18, when he's 20, when he's 30, I want him to have that history because that's so important to who he is. This is part of his story. We don't keep adoption hush, hush. Although he looks just like us. <laughs> I know. I was going to say that looking at your photo. I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. Everyone comes up to me and they say he has, you know, it's not so curly anymore, but everyone says, I know where he got his curly hair from. And I yeah, say, no, no you don't. <laughs> um, and my, you know, my husband is Filipino. And so our biological daughter is sort of a beautiful mix between us with some olive skin tones. And um, for a while, some people at church actually they knew we were foster parents but they assumed our son was biological and our daughter was was the foster child wow that's so funny now moving into moving into her because I'm curious about this how do you approach her and this notion of or not notion but how does she handle foster care children how does she handle these kids coming in and out? And does she, does she ever have trouble with that? How do you deal with that with her? Absolutely. Um, she's seven. And so the older she gets, the more we have to tailor our conversation and the more it is impacting her. Um, you know, I think realistically, one or both of these babies are going to go back to a relative or mom and dad. And in my mind, as I'm going through this, even if a a social worker mentions or even the biological parent, they mention adoption or, you know, we'll sign over our rights or something. I don't ever grasp onto that Mm -hmm. until even with our son, until the judge signed the paper, you know, the social worker messaged us and said, the paperwork is on his desk any day now. And even then, you know, you never know. And I just wouldn't let myself hope for that um, just because there's so many things that can happen. Um, And that's a protective mechanism for myself, but my seven-year-old doesn't have that. And so we have to kind of be that protective mechanism for her. Um, And we started fostering when she was 12, 13 months old. And so this is kind of her life. She knows kids come in and kids leave. She knows that you know, while they're here, we're also their mommy and daddy, but they have another mommy and daddy that they get to see and that they miss and who loves them. And so we really try to talk about the biological parents as much as possible. Again, we keep it on her level. So she doesn't need to know that, you know, 
the history of drugs or whatever. She doesn't need to know why a child was removed. Um, But we just usually say they're sick. They're sick and they're getting help or, you know, they're working really hard at their job so that they can get a new home. You know, if they haven't had a home, something like that, kind of put it on her level. Um, And we, I try to constantly talk about the future as if maybe the children, the, the, foster children that we have right now aren't here with us. So if we're going to talk about Christmas, like we just bought Christmas jammies about matching ones for the kids. (laughs) I'm that mom. And, you know, we picked out some for the babies and I just had to toss in there, you know, oh, this is going to look so fun on Christmas morning. And I was like, but, you know, if he goes to his mommy or if he goes to his mommy and daddy, we will send them with him. We'll take a picture of him in them and so we can look at it on Christmas morning and know that you guys are matching but we'll send it so that he has special Christmas jammies with his mommy and daddy kind of that's smart setting her up mentally for that almost like it's inevitable like they're going we just don't know yet and then if they end up staying it'll be a happy surprise um and again she hasn't been we we took a a good break from foster care with my kidney transplant and the healing from all of that so this will this time around will be a big test to see how she copes. Um, and I'm really noticing our four-year-old son, you know, I mentioned before, he doesn't quite understand everything. He's not quite on level with kids his age, but he does recognize when they're not there and he will ask about them um, if they're with a friend or something. Um, so I know he will miss them as well. You know, he does have a connection to them. He might not just be able to verbalize it like our seven-year-old, but it's hard. And, you know, I know we would all be grieving. We would go through a grief process because you're, you've lost a child, but instead of them being in heaven, they're still on earth and you don't get to see or be a part of protecting them, you know, and that just a different kind of loss of child loss. Yeah. Now, what kind of advice would you give families that are contemplating foster? and diving into that journey? Um, I think when kids come into foster care, they enter through the state programming, the city. Um, So every city has their own agency for foster care. And then they have ties to all the private agencies. So if they need a bigger pool of foster families to pick from, or if it's a special needs child or something and they don't have the right foster family, then they will Uh, farm that child out. That's not the right word, but, you know, (laughs) take that case and send it to a private agency and they will. Um, So there's a lot of different options. I would start just researching the difference between private and public agencies. We foster through the city of Virginia Beach, even though we don't live in that city. And we, um, we went to an information session first, and I would recommend that. Um, I think all city agencies have a website and would have excuse me, that information session, I believe private agencies have those too. So you can just dip your toe in the water, have your questions answered. Um, The other thing I would say would be, um, if you know any foster parents, ask them for coffee. I love when people, when couples meet me for coffee to just chat and I will be so real with them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because I think if you want to foster, um, you have to approach it with the right mindset. This is not a way to 
grow your family necessarily. You know, you can, but that's yeah. not the goal. You have that's to go in right. it because you might not ever, you know, get to keep any of the children. And um, especially if that's your desire, that would just end up, I think, poorly and be a disservice to yourself and your marriage and your family. Um, and a disservice to the child, because if you go into it with the wrong mentality or you say yes to a child when it wasn't the right timing for your family, um, that, you know, bad news because then the child will ultimately have to go to another home and that's more trauma for them. Um, so I would say just find some foster families. And then the other thing would just be to hop on Instagram and follow some hashtags, um, foster care or some handles. There's a couple. Um, and I can pass those along to you if you want to put them. Yeah, I'll definitely this. put them in the show notes, yeah. Just to kind of follow along and see some of them give great advice. And to be honest, a lot of it's just good parenting advice in general. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if uh, if anyone is in the Virginia area and wants to grab coffee with you, reach out. I'll put your info on in the show yes, notes. Yes, I would love that. So for you, my, I have my last two questions are for you. What is just the best thing about foster care? I think um, this is kind of a hard question. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think the best thing about fostering for me is that unknowingly I've grown as a human being. Um, I was so blind to the needs around me for a long time. Um, obviously I knew there were needs in other countries and I also kind of turned a blind eye to that because I was like, God, please don't send me to another country to do your missionary work. That was my prayer. And I'm not happy about that, but I'm a homebody and, you know, I didn't want to go and do that. And, um, I think once you see the need of the children in your area, it's something you can't unsee. And while that's really heavy and you're like inviting yourself inviting their drama into your life. And I'm not a drama person, so that's tricky, but I'm so grateful for that. I don't want to, to put the blinders back on and pretend and, and have my little perfect, like I said, you know, basic white family. Like I don't want that anymore. And I'm, I'm so grateful for all of my experiences because now I see, like you said, you know, that woman, you saw her and you saw her need. And while you know, there's lots of different schools of thought about helping people on the side of the street. Um, but you recognize the need of that child too. And sometimes there's literally nothing you can do. And I feel helpless a lot of the time too, but this is the one thing I can do. And I also love how we're raising our kids. Our daughter, that's all she knows. She's, she's around kids with special needs because she has a brother with one. She has a foster brother with one, some special needs. And she has a big heart because she knows that our family, we help people, we help moms and dads and we help kids. And, you know, that's all I can ask for is that she grows up just showing grace and unconditional love to people. And so I think that's the best part of foster care is you just step outside of your comfort zone and you take off your blinders to the needs of others. So in tying into talking about your daughter, what are some words you'd like to leave specifically for her and your foster son for when they're 18? 
Oh gosh. <laughs> I didn't know I could get so emotional this early in the morning. Um, I think, you know, their dad and I, we just love them to pieces and we can't, you know, imagine our family without them. But as much as we love them and they've got a huge community as well, their grandparents, their aunts and uncles, and, you know, our son has two mommies and two daddies, and that's a beautiful thing. And they love him so much too. As much as we love them, you know, God loves them so much more. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I don't want them to ever forget that. And um, I'm just so proud of them. You know, our daughter, she's only seven and our son is only four. And yet they just love every single kid who comes into our home, plays with them. They share their toys. And I'm just, I don't think any sports trophy or, you know, spelling bee certificate or whatever could, could make me prouder than seeing my children just love unconditionally those who have experienced something awful, you know? Yeah. I'm just very proud of them. So you want them to know that you'll always be proud of them. Absolutely. Yep. And what about an additional one for all of those foster kids that have come through your doors and maybe those in the future to come through your doors? What is maybe some words that you'd like them to hear for when they're 18? I think I just need them to know that, you know, their past does not dictate their future. And that sounds a little trite because I've seen that tossed around Instagram a million times, Mm. but it's so true. And also like we are here, they, they might not have stayed with us very long, but we love them and we won't ever forget them. And we don't have contact with most of them, really any of them. And that's not a personal choice. Um, You know, we would have loved to keep in contact with all of them, but their family, um, you know, prefers something different and just that we will always be their family. We will always, again, be proud of them. And I think it's hard because I just, I don't know where they are now. I don't know who they're with. And I don't have any way of protecting them anymore. Well, I think if anything, you should just know that what you're doing is one of the most admirable, gracious, and loving things that I think humans can do on this earth. And, you know, you said a little bit ago that you don't ever want to put on those blinders again. But I think you should also know that when the time comes, at least from my perspective, and, you know, I'm a pro at all of this, but (laughs) from my perspective, when the time comes that for whatever reason, you have to stop fostering or you stop stop fostering for a certain amount of time, you're never going to put those blinders back on. You might not be able to actually allow children into your home anymore, but you're always going to be aware and open and you'll find other ways to care and to give because it's built in you and it seems like it's just it's who you are you wouldn't you wouldn't be Ashley Baker without Foster you know I mean it's 
really formed the latter part of your life. And so when that day comes, I think just know that what you've done is unbelievable up to this point and you'll continue to do that. It might just take on another form. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. But I mean, I, I applaud you because it's something that sounds like something I would love to do, but I just have to be honest. I don't, I don't know if my heart would survive or I'd spend all of my money in therapy. (laughs) Uh, Well, I do go to therapy. (laughs) Um, And I think, you know, sometimes people say anybody can foster and anyone should foster. And I don't, I disagree with that. I don't think that's the case. Um, And I don't know that um, it's not, it's not healthy for anyone to foster, but everyone can help in foster care in some way. We have a great nonprofit here locally, and she provides lots of things for foster youth aging out of the system or those going to college, like bedspread and hot plate and Mm -hmm. things that they might need. And, you know, donations, anytime you do one of those angel tree things, um, you know, I know there's different organizations out there, but that comes to us for these boys, you know, so that kind of thing helps, even if it's not physically taking the child into your home. And, you know, you asked before, how do I do this? It's our community. We have a huge church that has a heart for foster care. And so I have a lot of other foster mom friends. And I need that. I need to be able to talk to other foster moms, but also um, they take babies. They'll just come over and say, hey, I've got this one for the day, you know, or he can spend the night. And especially now, you know, our babies are less than a month apart. And so I'm living the twin mom life and I never thought I would. And it's also the hardest thing I've ever done. I will never look at twin moms the same again. Mm -hmm. You know, moms of multiples because it is very hard, but that's how we do it. And, you know, So if you can't foster, you could be that person who just takes the kid for the day (laughs) or picks up the groceries or brings a meal because I'm a terrible cook. We would starve (laughs) without people feeding us. And my (laughs) husband's a great cook, but he's also working to support us. So, you know, that we wouldn't be able to do this without those people. And I feel like sometimes they think their part is trivial. It's Mm. not. It's my lifeline, you know. So that is you know, just as important, I think, as supporting the foster parent as just being the foster parent. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said you're a champion of all needs, and I think you should just give yourself a little extra TLC and a little hug in the morning to know that you're (laughs) truly a champion. And um, I, I just applaud you. And I think that that's so, so admirable. And thank you for all of the hearts that you've touched. Well, thank you. Thank you for letting me share my heart. And um, again, anyone can contact me. I love to talk about this topic. (laughs) Well, I'll put all of your info in the show notes. So um, if you're listening, please reach out to Ashley. Go have a coffee or a virtual coffee with her and learn more about foster care. But um, wow, you're just an amazing mom to to many, many, many. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting so early in the morning in our closets. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a nice reprieve. This is the best morning ever. Oh, good. Well, go get some rest. Thank you so much. This was just a joy. Thank you. 
The Pumping Podcast is a podcast for moms and by moms, and I am your host. I'm not yet a mama. I'm a mama in training. If you're enjoying what you hear, please take a minute on iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review so more mamas out there can find us and listen along while they're pumping or breastfeeding. If you'd like to be a guest and share your story, email me at thepumpingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also email me if you have any questions for any of my guests, and I will reach out, get those answers, and relay them to you in a follow-up episode. A big thank you to my friends Ashley and Kelly for the use of their baby's laughter, and my dear friend Erin Adams for writing my gorgeous theme song. You can follow along on Instagram at The Pumping Podcast, and go ahead and share the podcast with a mama you know. Until next time, keep on pumping.